Well, good morning again. And uh, we are in the book of Judges, and we're in the fifth chapter. And thank you for everyone who came back this week that was here last week. Because last week it was part one, this week is part two. And even if you weren't here for last week, this week is still going to make total sense uh, as we get into this. But remember, the great theme of Judges is this cycle of compromise. When God's people begin to compromise with the world and compromise with, um, did God really say this or really say that? Uh, God's people begin to immediately fall into temptation, fall away from God, make compromise, and all of a sudden, things just get ruined in their lives. And we have seen that a couple times so far in chapter 2 and 3 and 4. And chapter 5 is going to give us a great kind of um, burst of encouragement because chapter 5 is all about singing and worshiping God in the midst of his victory for God's people. And I think there's two things that we, it's good for us to keep in mind. And the first is this understanding of what is indeed worship and praise. And I like to, to define worship is basically bragging. Now, we're all taught that we shouldn't brag about things, but there is one thing that we should brag about all the time, and that is who God is. We should brag about God. We should brag about his actions. We should brag about his character. We should be constantly bragging on how awesome our God is, how he reveals himself, how he is true, how he brings dead hearts to life. We should brag about those things. We should brag about God, and that is the heart of what worship can be defined as, bragging about who God is. And praise is thanksgiving. Thanking God for what he's done in our individual lives. So this, this combination of worship and praise is not just singing. It's not just a song. It is a truly heart attitude, a mindset that goes with us every day. Not just Sunday morning for a half an hour for four songs and we're done with praise and worship for the week. But throughout the entire week, we should be bragging to one another about what God has done and how he's done it and how he's revealed himself. And we should be praising him, thanking him constantly. Did you know God did this? Did you know God answered this prayer? Did you know God met me this way? Did you know God revealed this to me in his word this week? It's amazing. You can't stop talking about God and his work in our lives. That's the heart and essence of what it means to praise and worship. Combined with that, there is a very real need to have newness in our praise and worship. In Psalm 86, and I'm going to read the whole psalm, and I don't apologize for that. It's 13 verses, and you can sit back and listen to this, um, or you can open up to Psalm 96 and read it with me, or follow along while I read it. Uh, starting in verse 1, the psalmist says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare the glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. 
Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say to the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the seas resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing with joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the people in his faithfulness. Can we say amen to that? I don't know how else to respond to such an amazing declaration of God's goodness, greatness, his actions, his future promises, his nature, his character, his works, than what Psalm 96 just presented to us. And that leads the New Testament writers, Paul in Ephesians 5, in Colossians 3, and in Luke chapter 1, all declaring a need for a new and fresh declaration of God's people to praise and worship him, and as Revelation 5 says, in a new song. Why are new songs inevitable? As much as we don't like change, as, long, as much as we don't like newness, as much as we like something comfortable, as long, you know, I mean, we enjoy those things that are steady and sure. Learning something new is challenging at every age and stage of life. And songs is no different. Why does God encourage his people to sing new? Because our God meets with us today. He meets with you today. He's done something in your life this week. He's revealed himself in some way to you. He has shown himself to be faithful in your life. What's our response to that? It should be something fresh. It should be something new. It should be something real and tangible for that moment. Yes, we celebrate what God has done in the past, but we also celebrate what God has done here in the present. In your life, it is healthy and a sign of great spiritual growth when your mind is captured with the moment of what God has done in your life this very day. And when God brought Israel victory in Judges chapter 4 over the Canaanites, their response in chapter 5 is to present a brand new song, a song to the congregation of Israel to sing. I have looked far and wide for <laughs> this song in chapter 5 to sing. I've looked. I've looked through hymnals. I have well over 100 different hymnals to look through. Not one song that says the song of Deborah and then the whole song. This song has been lost in the singing congregation of God's people. Maybe one day we'll sing it again, but right now it's our past. It demonstrates the goodness of God in our past, but God expects us to understand and worship and praise him for today and what he's doing in our lives today. Plus, some of the lyrics in this song 
you're going to be thankful we don't sing. Let's start in chapter 5, the very first few verses, which gives us the preface to Deborah's song. Now, if you remember the context, um, Shamgar killed all those Philistines with an ox goad, and they had peace in the land for 80 years. They then compromised with God yet again, sold into slavery. The king of the Canaanites overruled them, and Deborah steps up and says to Barak, you need to lead God's people. Barak says, no, I'm scared. You need to come with me. And Deborah says, uh, no, I'm going to do it. Yes, we're going to have victory, but a woman's going to take your place of glory. And we found out that woman's name was Jael, who took Sisera, the king's commander, who had 900 chariots, and while he was sleeping in the comfort of her tent, she took a tent peg and drove it through his temple while he slept. And she became the heroine of the story for putting to death the commander of the king's army. So that's the preface. Now the song fills in a couple blanks where the battle took place in like two verses in chapter 4. Chapter 5 kind of gives us a really big understanding using very poetic language. Remember the whole time you should be thinking what tune would go with this because it was a song that they learned and sang because of the new victory God had given in their lives. So verse 1 of chapter 5, On that day Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinah, sang this song. Here's the song, starting in verse 2. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. You know what that verse is talking about? It is a good thing when God's people say, yes, I'll serve you, God. Yes, and I'm going to use that word again, volunteer. Yes, I'll help out. Yes, I'll stand up. Yes, I'll go. You don't have to ask again. I'll sign up. It's me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. They sing a praise to God for his people being willing, willing to stand up and say, yes, I'll go. I'll do. I'll help. I'll be count on me. Verse 3, hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers, I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. Beautiful moment of declaration that this is for all people to hear and know what God has done in their lives, specifically Deborah and Barak, who are the ones who are leading this song. People need to pay attention. That's their way of saying, now's the time we're singing. Let's go. Now's the time for worship. Now's the time for praise. Everyone needs to hear about God and his work in our lives at this moment. Verse 4. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down waters, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. When God's presence is seen and noticed and recognized, it is as if the earth itself, all the rocks, the mountains, the trees, the sky, all the animals, they understand their creator is present. There is both rejoicing, and as we saw in Psalm 96, there also is a sense of reverent fear and awe that they are in the presence of someone who is far greater than them, someone who is far more important than them, 
someone who is far more powerful than them. Someone who can be bragged about and someone who could be thanked. Someone who can be bowed down to and worshipped. And all of creation responds in praise and worship, acknowledging and bragging on who God is and then thanking him for what he's done. All of it. And it's incredible imagery that the psalmists, the songwriters, and Deborah and Barak is doing at this moment because I've never seen rivers clap and mountains quake and, and trees sing for joy. But that's the description because it is within their nature to acknowledge God as God. And it is uniquely within our nature, having been made in his image, bearing his image, to be at the forefront of that worship and praise, to be at the forefront of declaring what God has done in our lives today. Not just what he's done in the past, but today. How has God revealed himself? How are you bragging on him? How are you thanking him? And this is a clarion call. This is a trumpet sound of everyone needs to be part of this. And when everyone is part of this, the world itself responds. He continues in verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, that's the guy who took that pokey ox stick and killed 600 Philistines. In the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers looked to winding paths. Villager, villages in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. She was an incredible judge and military leader and civil political leader. She spoke God's word in truth, encouraged God's people to do what is right, and then led the army along with Barak to victory. She was the encourager. She was the one who stabilized the fear when everyone was running wild and, and hidden. She was the one who came and said, no, God has given us victory. Step out in faith and believe that God is greater than the enemy. We need Deborahs in our life. We need each other to encourage each other to say, you know what, I know this is a hard moment, this is a hard difficulty, this is insurmountable in your mind, but God is greater than all of our troubles, all of our pains and sorrows and griefs and disappointments and <laughs> regrets. God is far greater than that. We need each other. As it says multiple times in Scripture, that iron sharpening iron, that encouragement, that correction from one another, to focus our hearts not on our problems, but on worshiping the God who is great and praising him and thanking him for his deeds in our lives. And Deborah was that person that God raised up that Israel looked to for that encouragement and that strengthening resolve. See, they already knew it. They had just dismissed it, forgotten it, and just kind of said, well, God's not all that important until life got so miserable they had no one else to cry out to. And Deborah says, I know it's God. That's who you need in your lives. Let's rally behind his name against his enemies, the idolaters, and go forward. They needed that strength, that encouragement that she gave. Verse 8, God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. That's kind of Deborah's kind of passive-aggressive way of saying when the need was there, the volunteers weren't. Oh, you may be volunteering in your heart and going, yeah, someone needs to step up and do that. 
Someone needs to go fight against that king. Someone needs to stand up for God. Someone needs to... And they're always looking for someone else. Someone, 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 someone else's job. And Deborah said, when the call went out, none of you initially answered the call. I couldn't find one sword, one shield, one battle-ready person in 40,000 people. That's just her way of saying, as I surveyed the land of the people that could help, no one said, here I am, send me. Verse 9, my heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. So in that process, even though there were no volunteers, by the next moment, God had changed hearts. And there were volunteers. There were people that stood up and said, I will serve God in this way. Verse 10, kind of a negative moment. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on saddled blankets, and you who walk among the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. Now, who were the ones that uh, rode on white donkeys with nice padded saddles? Who do you think those people were? You think they were the warriors of Israel? If anything, they were the ones who... All of this war stuff is going to be bad for business. Um, I've got a lot of things to take care of at home. A lot of things I could lose if this battle goes south. And right now, we're just really good friends with the king. Yeah, we pay him tribute. Yeah, we worship his idols. But you know what? There's at least some peace in the land. It's not real peace. It's compromise with God. And these are the folks that sort of have that elitist attitude that all is well, and let's just keep the status quo going, because if we disrupt that status quo, who knows what's going to happen to us? These are not the workhorses. These are not the individuals who rise up and say, send me, I will go. These are the ones who kind of want to keep to themselves that protected status, the white donkeys sitting on the saddled blankets. Um, The call to them, the call to them, the challenge to them, is listen to what the people are singing about. Listen to the praise and worship songs. Listen to how God is revealing himself in the here and now, this very moment, and see if that doesn't motivate you out of this complacency and compromise and this life of affluent comfort that you so enjoy. Let it wake you up from that. She continues in verse 12 through 18 to give us some, uh, some more information about the people that this song went out to, that this call went out to. It says in verse 12, Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, Barak, take captive your captives, son of Abimeon. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were with Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Ishkar were with Deborah. Yes, Ishkar was was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the distresses, in the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. So people heard the call. People answered the call, and people all from around that area came to Barak and Deborah's calling for help, for victory, for 
boots on the ground. Now, all of this was happening in relationship to Israel on the far north side of town, the far north side of the nation, way up, way up north on the outer edges of where Pueblo starts. This is where all the battles are coming. So all those people around that area were called to and said, come help and serve. Fight for God's people. Fight for the inheritance and promises that God had given them. In verse 16, here is the turn. Why did you stay among the sheep pens? To hear the whistling for the flocks? In districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. So he calls out a couple people. One, he calls out the tribe of Reuben. Second time that refrain happens. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Reuben was one of the tribes up in that area, and Reuben did not, that tribe did not answer the call for help. And so Deborah, basically in a very kind of cutting, convicting way, says, um, what was so important down at your sheep pens? You needed to hear all the whistling that was going on? I don't know if sheep whistle, but, or if you have to whistle to get sheep, whatever, but whatever it was, the shame on the tribe of Reuben was that they were more concerned about their sheep, which is an important thing to worry about, your livestock, but it's not more important than following God into battle against his enemies and standing up and stopping the compromise and ridding yourself of the idols. That is far more important than any livestock you might have. But their focus was on, oh, I need to take care of my livestock. Whereas with, and with Gilead, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by his ships? Now, Dan was way off by the Mediterranean Sea. It was a hike for him to get there, but the call went out. Deborah said, we need help. And these people just, nah, we're, we got stuff to do. We got to stay by our ports, by our ship. We got to stay by our homes. We got stuff to do. Not good enough to go fight for God and to stop compromise. Asher remained, as well as Dan, but the people of Zebulun risked their very lives, and so did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Deborah calls out the people who did come and serve and calls out those who hid behind human responsibilities and didn't further their resolve to fight for God. How would you like to forever be remembered in a song? Positively, yes, we all want to be remembered in a song, positively. Reuben, Dan, Gilead, Asher, oh man, I'd hate to be remembered in a song like that. They were the ones who refused to step up and fight for God and to rid themselves of the compromise that had riddled their lives. Verse 19 through 27 recounts the battle. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megado, they took no plunder of silver. Well, no kidding, they lost. <laughs> they had no plunder to take. From the heavens, the stars fought, and from their courses, they fought against Sisera. Just beautiful language about how even nature itself had turned against the kings of the Canaanites. 
The, rivers, the river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Now, if you remember, Sisera was the guy who commanded 900 iron chariots, a massive army, super important. And in order to get from where he was to get to where the Israelites had gathered at Mount Tabor, he had to cross this dry river. The best way, I think, for us to understand that dry river is right next to 25. It seems like it goes all the way from Springs south. I don't know where it ends, but there is this huge dry creek bed. And I know that a creek bed does not do it justice because there is water running through it, but it's right next to 25. And I have heard stories that at times that, I think it's just a runoff for the Arkansas River, and I, I'm willing to be corrected on that. Not right now, but after the service, you can come up and tell me, Tim, no, this is what it is. But there is this huge creek bed over there that I've heard from time to time will flood. And when it floods, it is bad. Imagine in your mind 900 chariots or horses trucking through that area and all of a sudden the wash comes through and they're gone. They're utterly destroyed. That happened once with Moses leading the children of Israel across the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was devastated, destroyed, wiped off the face of the earth as the waters crashed down. Something very similar is happening in this moment. This great massive army is using the creek bed because it's usually quick to get through. But as they do, rains fell from the heavens and utterly destroyed them. An act of God, not an act of nature, an act of God. God was at play here. God's hand was at work. Verse 24, or 22, Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping and galloping on his mighty seeds, steeds, Curse Mizraz, the angel of the Lord, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. These were the Israelites that encamped right around the river Kishon, right there. They were right on the edge of it. And they did nothing. And God's response to even his own people doing nothing is curses. Verses. The last verses of this chapter, I find really hard to think it was a song. It is a grieving mother who is waiting for his son, her son, to return from battle, and she, he doesn't return. Listen to these verses, starting in verse 24. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, that is Sisera, asked for water as he was fleeing, and she gave him some milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. Now remember, this is a song, Okay. So let me, maybe you didn't get that. Let me start in verse 26 again. Her hand reached for the tent peg. You can almost hear this as a refrain. Her hand reached for the tent peg. Her right hand for the workman's hammer. What does she do with it? She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Can you imagine for a moment? Just imagine for a moment. 
that we introduce a new song on Sunday morning, and that's the refrain. Would you have any comments for me after the service? You might have comments for me right during the service. What are you singing, Tim? Where did this song come from? I don't care that it's new or popular. I don't care that it's old. What are we singing about this lady driving a pen tag through a guy's head, crushing his skull? Why are we singing that? Well, let me ask you, why are they singing it? Do you know why they're singing it? Because they see God's hand at that day, in that moment, bringing rescue to them. And they are praising God for that rescue and the destruction of God's enemies. And they are happy and glad and sing hallelujah to what God has just done. And they put it in a song and they rejoiced. And every time I imagine they sang that refrain, I imagine every kid giggled, right? And every parent was like, oh, I'm going to have a lot of questions when I get home from the kids. But the whole answer to that is look at what God has done. Should he not be praised and thanked for it? And should not he be worshipped and bragged about for how he took something as simple as a tent peg and a lady in a tent and destroyed the army of the wicked? That is God's hand of power. Um, on? Can you turn this one on? All right. Uh, maybe my batteries went dead. Not quite sure. Um, oh, right at that really cool refrain in verse 27. Let me say it again. Remember, this is a song. They're singing this together. This is the kind of refrain where everyone goes, I know these words. And her feet, at her feet, he sank. He fell. There he lay. At her feet, he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. Kind of almost rapping there, wasn't I? Hmm. I'm glad I had this on tape. It was good. Through the window, this is the sad. This is this is indeed, and I'm not making this is indeed sad. Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice, she cried out. Where is his chariot? Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clack? Where? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answered her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding the divi and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man? Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera? Colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments? For my neck, all this as plunder? She is looking out the window. And I imagine many mothers go through this as their children go off to war, wondering if they'll ever come home. And she was wondering, where is Sisera? By now he should have divided the spoils, have all the women he wants, all the garments he wants, all the silver he wants. Where's the chariot? 
I don't see the dust. I don't hear the clacking of it. Where is it? And everyone around her, oh, it's going Maybe it was so much that they, had a, they couldn't make it all back in one day. They're trying to encourage her and reassure her. Although I imagine after each hour is passing, reality is sticking. And she knows she's not coming back. Little does she know that it was because of a tent peg. Again, verse 27, at her feet he sunk, he fell. There he lay, at her feet he sunk, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Then verse 31 ends the entire refrain. So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. People remembered that. For 40 years they remembered God raising up Deborah and Barak going to war and bringing as many people as he could. For 40 years they remembered who did not volunteer and help. For 40 years they remembered who did. And for 40 years they sang that song of J.L. Ending with that word, dead. And they knew it was God's victory every step of the way. There are two things I want us to think about as we take this home for the week. The first is, what has God done in our lives that is worthy singing about? Not what songs we think are worthy to sing, but what has he done in your life, your life, that is worthy to sing about? I know it sounds like a trick question because it should not take us more than a second to think about it. Immediately it should roll off of our tongue. Tim, I got too many things. It's going to take a long, long time to figure out. I remember at college, uh, and, and the band can come up as I'm closing this, I remember at college we sat around, a, a, it was a cafeteria, and someone brought out their guitar, and they were singing a song by Rich Mullen called... Um, our God is an amazing God, and I know I just got the title wrong. Awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Now, we're not going to sing that, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but we went around for, it felt like an hour, probably more like 20 minutes, but we went around, everyone taking a turn and substituting the word awesome for what God has done in their life that day. That was one of the most refreshing moments of applying Psalm 97 I've ever had. A refreshing moment of applying Revelation 5 and Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 and Luke chapter 1 that I've ever had. Because everyone as they took a turn from awesome to great to wise to patient to loving to forgiving to merciful to simply lovely. That song, those words were fresh was real. It was worship and singing that bragged on God. What has God done in your life that you can brag about? That you should brag about? I'm not asking that we all become songwriters. We have gifts and talents, but it may not be writing songs and singing them. But there is something that God has done in your life this very day that is worthy to be bragged about. 
So as we stand and I close in prayer and we begin to sing this last song, think about all the ways that you can brag on him in worship. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the goodness that you show us each and every day. Help us, Father, to have a new song in our heart, a new song upon our lips, rejoicing in the goodness that you've given us this day. May our day break forth in rejoicing for what you have done and for who you are. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen.